Hello, everyone. You're listening to the One Year Bible Tour, a daily podcast in which we read through the Bible together. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as a tour guide, pointing out highlights as we make our way further through the Bible. In the book of Deuteronomy today, the Gospel of Luke, and we start the third book of Psalms, which starts with Psalm 73. We'll also take our daily proverb vitamin pill, or vitamin as they say in the United States, to ward off any foolishness that might be creeping up on our thinking. Today is the beginning of month four in our Bible tour. It's April 1st. People have been asking which translation we're reading from. This year we're reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Last year I read the New American Standard Bible through, and the previous year the New Living Translation, and before that the New International Version, as they are all published in the one-year Bible format, with daily portions from both the Old and New Testaments, and a daily song from the book of Psalms, and a wisdom nugget from the book of Proverbs. Today we are continuing to read the book of Deuteronomy. We will start with chapter 18. We are in a section concerned with the offices of the king, the priest, and the prophet, which is from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, to chapter 18, verse 22. And we're reading the laws concerning these offices, their holy obligations, as it were. In the New Testament, we see how Jesus fulfills these three anointed offices. This is what the term the Christ refers to. Christ means the anointed one, and Jesus took the title of the Christ to himself. He is the anointed king, the anointed high priest, and the anointed prophet that is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. As the king, he is unique, as there will be no end to his rule. As priest, he offers the perfect once-and-for-all sacrifice for sin, and he lives to make perfect intercession for us. He is also the perfect prophet. He's the Word made flesh, the Alpha and Omega, the full alphabet, spelling out the full thought of God. In the Old Testament, however, we have kingships, priesthoods, and prophets, all with their personal failings. But as we read the Old Testament record, we gain insight as to what God has in mind. So let's begin reading Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Provision for Priests and Levites The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as He promised them. And this shall be the priests due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons, for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires, to the place that the Lord will choose, and ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. Abominable Practices 
When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess listen to fortune-tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Chapter 19 Laws Concerning Cities of Refuge When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession, so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, Then you shall add three other cities to these three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, 
but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, so that it may be well with you. Concerning Property Boundaries You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Laws Concerning Witnesses A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. You shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Chapter 20 Laws Concerning Warfare When you go out to war against your enemies, and see horses and chariots, and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoys its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably, and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you, and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves, and you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But in the cities of these peoples, that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to their abominable practices, which they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. 
And when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human, that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. This is the end of our reading from the book of Deuteronomy. As we continue to read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, the new generation that's about to go in to possess the promised land is getting an understanding of God's requirements for the king, the priest, and the prophet. All three of the offices are to be combined in the person of the Messiah in the future, the Anointed One. It's important that the people of God be ruled by the office of the king, represented by the office of the priest, and spoken to by the office of the prophet in the way of righteousness. For the kingdom of God is first and foremost about righteousness. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, righteousness means rightness. At all times, God is in the right. He does all things rightly. We must be in the right with him if we are to receive the rewards of his rule. We can only be right with God through the priestly work of Christ and his perfect sacrifice on the cross that satisfies God's requirements for righteousness on our behalf. The result of our being made right with God through faith in Christ is reconciliation with God, bringing the effect of peace, quietness, and trust, as we read in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, and joy in the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God can be experienced now as we submit to the rule of God through faith in the gospel. We submit to Christ, our King, our Priest, and our Prophet. What are we learning about the office of the King? The King is to be taken from their countrymen. He is to be chosen of God, in chapter 17, verse 15, of a pure disposition, in chapter 17, verses 16 through 17, and fully committed to the law, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 to 20. We see these qualifications perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is King. Psalm 2, verse 6. John chapter 18, verses 36 to 37. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Jesus is also our great high priest. As we have been reading through the Bible, we have been introduced to two different priesthoods that speak of Christ and his work. The priesthood of Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness in Genesis chapter 18, and the priesthood of the tribe of Levi in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 1. The priest also was chosen by God, just like the king. He was separated unto the Lord to stand and minister in the Lord's name always. The Lord himself was his portion and inheritance. The priest is to receive portions from his brothers. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah and not Levi. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a greater and more enduring priesthood than that of Levi. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 22. Melchizedek, of whom there is no record of the beginning or end of his days, represents an eternal priesthood. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus had no inheritance in the land, 
He said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. He was ministered to by the people of the Lord in Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Not only is Jesus the king and Jesus the priest, but Jesus is the prophet like unto Moses. A true prophet would not speak out from his own imagination. He dares not speak presumptuously. He will not resort to the magic of manipulation. He will have God's word in his mouth and will tell the people everything that the Lord commands. He will speak out against false religions and practices. What he speaks will come to pass. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 23. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 speaks of the prophet like unto Moses who would be raised up from among their countrymen. In verse 19, we are reminded that all must listen to him and those who don't listen to him will be brought to account. There are those who think that this prophecy applied to Joshua, but the New Testament affirms that it applies to the greater Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, the Word made flesh. God the Father applies these words to Jesus. Listen to him, he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 35. When Jesus speaks, he applies these words to himself in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, speaking of the wise man building his house upon the rock of his word. Peter preached that Jesus is the Christ and referenced this verse in Deuteronomy to support his argument that Jesus was the prophet like unto Moses in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Stephen referenced this verse when he spoke of Jesus being the Christ in Acts chapter 7, verse 37. We also read about the cities of refuge. This is the fourth time that the cities of refuge have been referred to in the books of Moses. With each reference to the cities of refuge, we get new information. It is a progressive revelation of God's justice and mercy finding their satisfaction in Christ. It is a picture of the sinful man finding a refuge in his priestly work on our behalf. In the book of Exodus, the cities of refuge are not mentioned directly. They are just hinted at. We don't know how many there will be or where they will be located. We learn only of their purpose. God will provide a safe place for someone who accidentally caused the death of another to flee from those who want to avenge the blood of their relative without giving them the opportunity of a fair trial. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 13, I will appoint you a place to which he, the manslayer, may flee. It is our sins that caused Jesus' death. It is his death that provides a place for us to flee. In Numbers chapter 35, we learn that there are to be six cities, three on each side of the Jordan, accessible for any manslayer, including the foreigner. Six is the number of man. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 42 to 43, three cities on the east side of the river are named. We also learn that the manslayer must not have had an enmity towards the victim in the past. Here, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, we are given examples of situations in which the city of refuge would be needed. We also learn that these cities must be made accessible with prepared roads. The laws of Israel contained the highest standards of justice. Life was considered sacred, and therefore capital punishment for the deliberate taking of a life reinforced this fact. 
the demands for retribution must be proportionate to the crime. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, or a foot for a foot. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. In the case of a deliberate murder, it was a matter of a life for a life. Involuntary manslaughter was to be handled differently. The purpose of these laws is stated in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 10. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and blood guiltiness be on you. Deuteronomy 19.10 We see in the cities of refuge an example in which the severity of justice is coupled with the provisions of mercy. Blood shed deliberately cries out for revenge. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 10 The nearest kinsman of the slain had the right to seek justice. But God's provision of mercy is to be kept in view. Our God is a refuge. He is a just God and merciful Savior. We have refuge in the shed blood of our Savior. His blood speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. One cried out for revenge. The other cries out, paid in full. In me you have a refuge. Next we read laws regarding lying and cheating. Moving a neighbor's boundary mark was to cheat a neighbor of his property rights. To accuse a person falsely is a sin against a God who created us in his image and does not lie. Corruption must be dealt with. It is considered an inexcusable evil. Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 19. Next we have laws of warfare. Number one, don't fear being outnumbered if you are doing what is right before the Lord. He is with you. Number two, The priest is to speak to the troops before the battle to encourage them with the reality that it is the Lord who goes with them, fights for them, and will save them. In verse 4 of chapter 20. Number 3. The officers are to address those four categories of people who are to be given exemption for military service. The victory of the Lord does not depend on numbers. God can use a faithful remnant. Some may be aware of the fact that they have not dedicated their house or enjoyed the fruit of their vineyard, or have not yet married the girl they were engaged to. These people have unfinished business in their civilian life that is a distraction. There are others who are faint-hearted. Why are these people permitted to leave? We don't read of people being discharged for flat-footedness, but for preoccupations, unfinished business, or fearful attitudes that could adversely affect the morale of the troops. Remember the ten spies? Number four, Every city in Canaan is to be given terms for peace. Those who do not accept those terms shall be besieged. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 10 to 12. Number five, women, children, and animals are not to be put to the sword, but taken as plunder. Number six, obedience is required in taking the cities they were told to utterly destroy. Number seven, the trees are to be preserved if at all possible, especially those which produce fruit. The warfare is not to be against the environment or God's provision for the nourishment of human beings. Now we turn to the New Testament reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through verse 50. The Transfiguration Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy, and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the end of today's reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now let's take a few steps back and reflect upon what we've been reading. Jesus' habit of prayer outdoors is referred to repeatedly in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, Peter, John, and James accompany him to pray on what is now known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Here they are given a fast-forward glimpse to Jesus in his future glorified body. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. Luke 9.29 Moses and Elijah appear at his side, and they discuss his departure, literally his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Luke 9.31 Jesus' death is described as both an exodus and an accomplishment. No other death has been described in such a manner. Moses, who experienced the first exodus, knew what it meant to be delivered from Egypt and brought into the promised land. 
He was now in the promised land with Jesus discussing this greater exodus, which would be for all people, not just the nation of Israel. By Jesus' death as the Passover lamb, he would accomplish something. He would not only take us out from being under the law's sentence of death by taking God's wrathful punishment for sin in our place, but he would also bring us into the promised inheritance of eternal life and mediate his deathless life to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Both the law represented by Moses and the prophets represented by Elijah pointed to Jesus. Peter, James, and John fell asleep and missed much of the conversation. Peter gave voice to a thought that it would be good to stay on the mountain and build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. A cloud formed and overshadowed them. The Father declared that Jesus was the only one to whom we now need to turn our eyes and ears. Jesus, having fulfilled the law and the prophets, would be the single source and means of righteousness and revelation. The law and the prophets are only valuable and effective if they point people to Christ. And Jesus would not have fulfilled the purpose for which he came, a work spoken of in the law and the prophets, if he stayed on the mountain and not moved on to the cross. Next we read about the demoniac in the valley. Jesus meets a man whose only son is demonized. The demons physically torment him, seizing him, throwing him into convulsions, and mauling him. The disciples are not able to cast out this evil spirit. Jesus speaks to the whole generation, not just to a man or a few men, saying, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. You get the sense that Jesus is talking about a whole generation that is lost to the purpose of God and subject to the torment of the enemy. Jesus rebukes the demon and heals the boy, giving him back to his father. It's a wonderful picture of true reconciliation that is only made possible through Jesus destroying the work of the devil on the cross. And that is what Jesus did. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This is what Jesus accomplishes through his death, that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And now we turn to the book of Psalms. Today we start book 3 of the book of Psalms, Psalm 73. God is my strength and portion forever. It's a psalm of Asaph. And reading Psalm 73 will be my son, Ben McAdam. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them, and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean, and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. 
If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The psalmist Asaph's faith in God is nearly jeopardized when he compares his circumstances with those of others in verses 2 to 5 and 13 to 16. As he reflects more deeply, he recognizes that he should not envy those who are spiritually dead or disinterested in verses 6 through 12. However, it is not until his thoughts are brought into the light of God's sanctuary, representing the light of the gospel, that he is able to perceive life more accurately. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, we read, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The psalmist is helped to see things in the light of the final judgment in verses 17 to 28. A verse to meditate upon is verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And now for today's proverb, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Our actions reflect our worldview and our value system. Our own standards of righteousness can fluctuate. We need the consistency of God's life working its way into every area of our behavior. There are those who take care of their pets, yet others who can be abusive towards them. In other instances, the affection and regard for animals that one might demonstrate towards their own pet may wane when it comes to their neighbor's cat or dog. A righteous man will not be dictated to by his or her moods but will regard God's creation with consistent care. Let's pray. High King of Heaven, thank you for showing us who you are. You reign in righteousness as our King, our Priest, and our Prophet. Establish your righteous rule in our hearts by the power of your Spirit. Continue to renew our minds with the daily intake of your Word. In you we have found a perfect refuge. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might know and put on display your holy life. Empower us for holy living. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, thank you so much for being with us today and continuing in this healthy habit of discipleship, which is to read God's Word with reverence and with a mind to obey. We are so grateful for the time we have together and look forward to being together tomorrow. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. Or you can learn more about our ministries at our website, newlife.org. Thank you. And as you go, may you remember that the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. May you be conscious of all that is yours in Christ Jesus today. Shalom. Shalom.